This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture, with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. When an architect goes to work, what happens? Do they pull out a pen and sketch paper? Maybe they power up some hardware, quite possibly a bit of both. Ask any architect what they need to do the job, and they'll give you different answers, but we'll give you the real scoop on today's episode, Architectural Tools. Today's episode is brought to you with generous support from BQE. Hi everyone, I'm Bob Borson. And I'm Andrew Hawkins. And today, Andrew and I are going to talk about the sort of tools that an architect might use in the course of doing their job. Since this can vary wildly, Andrew and I are going to follow our own kind of predilections and tell you what we use day in and day out to a certain extent, but also kind of maybe what other people might be using. Andrew works in a university. I work in a big office, but the vast majority of my career has been in a small office. So the way we work may not be reflective of how everybody works. So we're going to try to cast our net a little bit wider. But either way, at the end, I think most of you will be able to say that you're either in Camp Andrew or Camp Bob. And unfortunately, I bet the line that decides which camp you go into is based on how old you are. (laughs) Quite possibly. When I was thinking about that, it kind of stung a little, but <laughs> yeah, I don't feel like an, I'm an old person. Actually, you know, last night I went to the liquor store. I opened the door and they're like, Bob. No, that's not true. <laughs> I walk in. We're just kind of killing time. The weather was really nice last night, even though it's hot. And I got the doors off the Jeep and it's topped down. I was like, let's go for a cruise. Let's go to the liquor store. And go to the liquor store. <laughs> and we picked up dinner. And whole, we made a whole kind of let's have fun kind of thing. So we go around and we're just looking at stuff, right? Because, you know, it's not like we really need more booze in the Borson household. Yeah. But we bought some beer, right? But it's nice to peruse. Yeah, Yeah. it's the weekend. We might drink a beer while we're floating in the pool. And uh, we bought some tequila because Mm. even though I'm not a huge tequila person, I do like my margaritas. A margarita, yeah. And the hotter it gets, the less likely we are to drink things like wine. In the evenings, yeah. and more likely we are to drink margaritas while we're in the pool. So I got gotcha. you. So we were there, and my wife, I don't know what made her think of this, but as we're checking out, you know, we're wearing our masks, cause the whole pandemic thing. And my wife goes, is it harder to tell if people are of age with everybody wearing their masks? And, uh, and she looks at me for a second. <laughs> like, it's not hard to tell on that guy. Right, Despite, yeah, cause, nice. Because he looks old. He looks old. Yeah, like she expects the name on my driver's license to say Methuselah or something. <laughs> and yes, and so I said, but I don't look old. And she goes, No, 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 you don't look old, despite the fact that you have white hair. And I was like, mm. She said it was based on how people carry themselves, and I imagine that part of that is like, are they scared? Are they worried about getting caught? Or yeah, and she goes, or how they dress. And I'm wearing like a rock concert t-shirt, so I'm not sure that I'm dressed like you would think of my age person would typically dress. Rock. Yeah, but is it the Beatles? (laughs) When you went to see Mozart? No. Is that the concert shirt you have on? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. When I went to go see Mozart, (laughs) I bought a concert tee. (laughs) No, no. I was wearing actually a pacifier shirt oh yeah okay my maryland reggae band shirt gotcha so i don't feel old even though i think that 
I, at times I look old. My white hair doesn't do me any. It doesn't do you any favors. Doesn't do me any favors. But I don't, I'm not wrinkly so much yet, I don't think. No, I don't think so. And now that it's summertime and everybody, my tan is coming on, I think it makes me look a little bit more younger. Anyway, so despite the fact that you and I are not that far apart in age, I think I'm like five years older than you. Five and a half or something, yeah. The differences between how, what I came out of school doing and then, like, there were no computers, like, at all in the school. And I still remember Mm -hmm. using, like, dot matrix printers. Like, I wrote a report. My my roommate at the time was in law school, and he had a computer in his house, which that was, like, amazing. That is pretty amazing. But he came from lawyer money, so, of course, he had one. And we had to do a report for this one construction class that I was taking where you had to, like, track a construction project throughout the semester and then turn in this, like, really big book on the whole experience at the end. Mm -hmm. And I typed mine out on the computer all the pictures were four by six or whatever size they were. So I'd write my paragraph and then I'd hit return 12 times because that would leave enough space for me to glue a picture on it, picture yeah. onto the piece of paper. But I had to pull all the dot matrix tabs off the side of all the pages. And so that was like really the only computer experience that I had when I was in school. And then when I got out of school, nobody had computers. I mean, a couple firms did, but they were really big. I still remember I interned at a place. They were on microstations, I believe, microstation. Mm-hmm. And you had to buy, like, the desk. So the desk had all the buttons integrated into the desk and the screen. So it was like a station. It wasn't like a piece of equipment you can move around. Interesting. I don't think I've ever seen one of those. Yeah, in each station, and I could be wrong in the math, but in my head, I want to say that each station costs like $40,000. So, and they, and and they bought like four of them. So it was a a lot of money in $1985. I guess it might've been even later, maybe 88. That's a lot of money now in dollars for a computer. Yeah. But when you think it's like 30 plus years ago, it was, it was a whole lot. I know. So they actually had teams working in shifts. So like if you're working on that system, you were the eight to four guy. And then there was a four to midnight and then a midnight to eight guy. And I thought, that's wild. Everyone else is still drawing on mylar and hand. pin yeah, bars. Sure. And I'm not so old that people are still using linen, but I still remember linen like existing in these offices. <laughs> really? Yeah. So despite the fact that you're younger, I think part of our personalities are like, we're kind of both a little bit hybrid, but we kind of slant one way or another. So I would say me, I'm definitely more old school than most people. But I still use technology. I still have computers and iPads and apps and all that kind of stuff because that's just the way things are now. Mm -hmm. And I would say that you still sketch, but you sketch on top of a tablet. You take notes on your tablet as evidenced by the fact that whenever we talk about software or apps, you have to take point on that because you're into that stuff. Yeah. I'm not. I don't really care. (laughs) Yeah. So that's what makes you old. That's what makes me old. But again, I'm not a Luddite. I know all that stuff exists. I just don't think it's better. Okay. That's what makes me old. Yeah, maybe. You know, like we've had conversations. Here's another thing. And we'll get into this when we talk about, I think it's my second item on my list. But part of it is, you know, like when I started writing this blog back in 2010, really the goals I had for it then are nothing like the goals I have for it now. My goal for it now is to actually quit. (laughs) (laughs) now my goals back then were just to learn how to do it right i 
was like, I'm good at what yeah, I do. To do something with your spare time. Yeah, I got yeah, you. And, and learn technology and software yeah. and stuff. So sure. I still remember I wrote a post. It was called like the next big thing if you're six years old. And it had to do with these like Japanese erasers that my daughter was really into when she was six. Oh, uh-huh. These things really were cool. So I wrote a post on it. But the reality is, is part of the reason I wrote that post is because I wanted to practice taking pictures with my digital camera that I'd bought not that long before and work on my bokeh effect. So for me, the blog was really about taking pictures, getting them uploaded, reformatting them, getting better at Photoshop, learning a little yeah. bit of coding. So that should be enough evidence that I'm not Stone Age taking notes on a stone tablet guy only. No, I agree. I mean, I don't think that's who you are. I know of architects that are still that way. Yeah. And they're probably a little bit older than you, but they don't even bother to care to know about that stuff. Yeah. So what Andrew and I decided to do for today's episode is we said, all right, let's really embrace the nuanced differences between us so that we're not just kind of walking the muddy line down the middle. At least in my opinion, that's what I did. <laughs> we'll see what Andrew does. I don't, I, don't know what's on, I don't know what's on his list. So on my list, I went, I went a lot of old school, but the way that I tried to really focus in on the items I would put on my list, there are things that I use, and I think they're important, but some of them have been reinforced during this work from home period. Like I miss certain things on both sides of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Like I don't get to sketch the way I used to, but part of that's because I'm missing some of the technology parts that allowed me to sketch the way I like to sketch, which we'll talk about that. Yeah. Well, let's just get into it. We're going to end up feeding it all out before we even get there. Yes. So here we go. How about I start? Since I'm old school guy, so we'll start with old and we'll evolve towards new. So the first item I put on my list, it was really super easy when I thought about it. And I bet if you know me at all, you have a shot at guessing correctly what this item is going to be. And actually, it's two items, but you kind of need both of them. So for me, it's trace paper, like a roll of trace, and Sharpie pens. Those two things are tools that I use as much as humanly possible. Paramount to your existence as an architect. Yeah, I would notice, like, it's almost like I like there's bugs crawling under my skin if I don't have a roll of trace that I can use. <laughs> and as dumb as that sounds, I mean, I don't keep it. It's not like I, I mean, I'm telling you. The stuff that I post on social media, that's the good stuff. There's lots of not good stuff that's, that's out there. <laughs> that's right. Best life only. Yeah, right? Living yeah. my best life with showing my best sketches. That's right. But the reality is, and if, if I asked one of the people who I work with day in and day out to come on the show and, and just ask them a question, they would say, what I'm about to say is absolutely true. When I sit down to have a conversation, I sketch out the conversation as I'm talking. Whether we need to have a sketch of it or not, I just do it. At the end of it, I'll ask him, is this worth holding on to? And I bet it's 50-50. Sometimes it's kind of just notes of the conversation, so they'll keep it. Sometimes it might be reflect a detailed conversation we have about, hey, if we're going to do these sawtooth light monitors, we might either need to pull them apart so we can put this type of cricket on here, or we need to raise it up so we can put in a gutter that runs along. You know, And I'll sketch this up as I'm talking about it. It's not me just vomiting information at him. Mm-hmm. And so they'll hang on to it, and sometimes they will, sometimes they won't. But I, I have to use it. I also use different size. Like, I didn't say a 12-inch roll of trace. It's just trace paper to me. But I do have different sizes that I use. And on occasion, 
I have cut a 12 inch roll down into a six inch roll for smaller things, but for the most part, 12 inch is my go to. That's what I was going to ask. I have debates about what size is the correct size. I'm with you. I'm a 12 inch guy, but there's some people that really want the 18 inch. I'm just like, this is too much. It yeah. just wastes too much paper. Well, you know, I draw all over it. Sometimes it's like linearly, even though it's like backwards because we always start on the right hand side since I'm left handed. The roll is always on my left-hand side, so as I roll it open, it's moving from right to left. So when I sketch, it's from right to left. It's backwards. Mm -hmm. Say we have a sketch, an entire conversation, and it takes up 12 feet of trace paper. The first part of our conversation is on the right-hand side of the piece of trace. Yeah. I don't know that it's going to be 12 feet of conversation, and I unroll 12 feet. Yeah. Right? So it always moves from right to left. I think it's normal. I think you have an advantage of not smearing your work, though, that I don't have as a right-hander, because when I start rolling, I rub over the stuff that I've already drawn. Well, you know, I wondered that, because part of the reason I like Sharpie pens is they put down a lot of ink. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, I throw them away before they're done, because the nibs start to wear out, or they don't put down enough ink for me anymore. Like, if it goes from black to charcoal, I'm done. You know? Yeah. I mean, I'm not done. I bet in my book bag right now, I have 50 Sharpie pens. And I have this, I can almost tell if it's going to be good or not by how hard the cap is to get off. Oh, because you know that you've been using it for so long. Well, not even so long. I bet I go through at least one Sharpie pen every day to day and a half. Wow. They do not last me long at all. That's crazy. And it's not because I'm mashing down and destroy the nib. They work different in the beginning. And that's what I like. And I like Mm -hmm. the amount of ink. It's almost like it's a fountain tip pen for me, but... I'm left-handed. I can't really use fountain tip pens. Yeah. Because I will absolutely drag it through everything that I just wrote. But Sharpie pens allow me to put down a lot of ink without... I mean, it dries instantly. So I don't. you don't have to worry about dragging your hand through it. Yeah. You know, I'll also say, because this comes up every now and then, I am not a yellow trace paper guy. I was in college. Oh, you're a white one? Um, yeah, I like the white. Interesting. You know, I'll tell you why. The reason it changed. Like, I was yellow... All through school and out of school for the first decade, it seemed architectural. And the truth is, that's all you could get. Like, there wasn't white when I was in school. At least I never saw it. Everybody had yellow, but it was it was a really pale yellow. It wasn't like some of the yellow you can find now, which seems like super yellow. I would agree. I think the tone has changed. But I don't, I don't like the yellow now because most of the time, and this really started about the time when I really started doing the blog post a lot. It's because I would draw something out and I need to scan it or Xerox it to do something with it beyond that initial just working through a thought. Mm -hmm. It had to turn into something. And yellow doesn't work well. And it just, it doesn't scan well. It doesn't allow me to like go into Photoshop and take out some phone number that I wrote on air. Yeah. Next to my sketch because I took a note on a drawing. (laughs) Yeah, I got you. Because I took a call and I needed to just erase it. It's hard to digitally manipulate. And so I was like, yellow's a drag. So I went to white. Yeah, I use both. I kind of don't care. But you make a good point there. I, I don't spend a lot of time taking mine to digital, I guess. But I use both. I'm not overly concerned with it. If I buy new stuff, I typically buy white. But I have so much trace like laying around rolls that I bought a long time ago. So I still have some yellow. You know, I'll tell you one more thing before we move on to your first item. Okay. And that is one of my last employers did this. and. I thought, oh my God, that's genius. Now I tell people, and they have the exact same response to it. And that is, 
whenever you get a new roll of trace, I stomp on it. Like I put it on the floor and I stand on it <laughs> to flatten it out. Mm-hmm. And the reason I do that is now that it's kind of oblong shape instead of round, it doesn't roll away. Like when I roll it out and I just take my hand off the roll, it doesn't roll. Yeah. Right? But it's also harder to roll out, right? No. It's exactly the same amount of easy to roll out. Hmm. Okay. But I don't have to worry about putting something on the other side of it so it doesn't roll off the end of the table. And I'm telling you, everyone who sees it, who uses Trace, I'm surprised more people don't know about this particular trick. It's one of those ones that you, like, if you use Trace and you don't know it, it's a game changer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what? what's your first item? My first item is just, you know, I'm kind of doing point and counterpoint here for you. So mine is going to be, you know, an iPad and a stylus as opposed to your pen and trace. While I still do use pen and trace, the iPad for me is, is a tool that I use to do some of the things that you're talking about. If it's coming out of my brain and I'm not trying to explain it to someone or draw, modify it like a detail or something like that, but if it's just coming out of my brain or if I'm taking notes, it's an iPad and a stylus. To me, that's the best thing for me to use. You know, you were saying about the reason you switched to white trace. Well, the reason that I really, I mean, besides being sort of a nerd techno guy, the reason that I started really trying to focus on that is because it just made it more efficient to turn things digitally yeah. as opposed to having to go through the step of drawing something on paper and then scanning it or taking notes and then scanning them. Everything's already digital, so it just it became more efficient. You're 100%. If, if you could be more than 100% right, you would be more than 100% right I'm on scared. that. You're going to make me pass one... out right here. I, you're telling me I'm more than 100% right. <laughs> yeah, if that was a thing, you would be it. Because it's the one thing that does drive me a little bonkers. Now, my process when I use my sketch paper, I'd say 90-something percent of everything I sketch, that's the end of it. It's in a trash can within an hour kind of thing. Yeah, I mean... It... But the times when I do need to do something with it, nowadays I go, God, this would... Here's a great example. We recently updated our signatures on the oh, yeah. blog posts. And I saw yours and I was like, Andrew totally did his sketch using a stylus on an iPad. <laughs> You can tell. And it looks great. And mine is some janky, fine nib, Sharpie pen on a piece of trace that I then had to go to a Xerox machine to scan, then open it up in Photoshop to clip yeah. it. I was like, if we were done with this pandemic, I would say, Andrew, give me your iPad and a stylus because I'm going to redo my signature. <laughs> yeah, makes things easier. So in that regard, I'm completely jealous and wish that I... You know what? Here's my question to you. I don't know if you're going to talk about styluses or not, but that's the biggest reason why I don't enjoy sketching on an iPad is I hate every stylus I've ever tried. There was one that came close and it had like a really fine kind of point that you could work with, but the point has to be a certain size. At least maybe things have changed. The point had to be as kind of a certain diameter for the screen to pick it it up. Yeah, but so they put a little clear plastic puck on the end of it so I could see where I was actually touching when I was sketching. I like that one, but it was so delicate that... Yeah, the tips on those. That's a Jot Pro. That's what that is. The stylus. You know what? It was was the only one that I liked that I tried. But it broke after like... It broke in my bag. It didn't break while I was using it. Yeah, that little tip was pretty fragile. Yes. And I agree with you. I think, though, that the stylus technology has gotten better. And I don't know if that's the touch sensitivity of the screens or, but 
the ability to use your the stylus has gotten a lot better. They've, there's still a little bit of, I think, the sort of lag that would bother you. I'm meaning you. The lag bugs me. Yes, I, I took it that way. But overall, it's gotten a lot better. I think it's funny. To me, it's gotten better since Apple decided that a stylus was okay. For a while, they were so anti-stylus, and they didn't want to do it, and you know, da-da-da, and then... They're making styluses now, Yeah, and that's right? what I'm saying. And when they decided that it was okay or necessary to have those, I think they put a little effort into coordinating that and, and making it work better. I still use styluses, but I went through, you know, hundreds... I've got a desk drawer full of styluses, because I'd try this one and be like, nope, and I'd try this one and be like, nope, and I'd buy them on Kickstarter and all these other things, because this is a brand new stylus. We're going to try it out and whatever. So I've got a drawer full of old, terrible styluses or styli. But I think it's gotten better since Apple decided that they were going to adopt that technology, at least for an iPad. You know, I've never used one on anything else. Well, I wonder as a little bonus, if you have ones that you like in the show notes for this, why don't you just say, here are the two or three that I like the most. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, now I'll use the one from Apple because it works best for me. Yeah, but there's always like kind of an evolution. Like I like this one, but then this one came oh, out. Oh yeah, but you maybe you like them for different reasons. Like sometimes they're really fat, and sometimes yeah. And I tried some out. I mean, I got some look like a crayon, like a really young kid's crayon. It looks like a piece of chalk, a piece of sidewalk chalk. It's like oh. super fat. Let's see, all that it's making my head explode. Well, I mean, it's supposed to be better and comfortable. I didn't like it. I mean, I bought it and tried it out, and it sucked. But I thought, well, maybe. Well, here's what I think is going to come for us. If people are listening to this, there's going to be folks out there that use stylus, and they're going to have the same kind of issues that we have, but maybe unlike you, they haven't bought a box yeah. full of them. So I just think it might be interesting if you say, like, hey, if I had to say my three favorite, these are All them. right, I'll give it a shot. No, you it's okay. <laughs> You're setting me up now, so I have to, right? I know. I am setting you up. Well, you know, you can always edit this out. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. More from Life of an Architect in just a moment. So Andrew and I are currently sitting with Steve Burns, FAIA, the Chief Creative Officer with BQE Software. The developers for BQE Core, a product that is backed by 24 years of firm management experience, is a complete and flexible business platform made for architects by architects to help manage their firms so that they can focus on what they love to do the most. So let's talk about business intelligence and artificial intelligence. Because I know we had chatted offline about how these are not buzzwords, that they're real technologies that impact the architectural profession. If we don't embrace and utilize them, we're going to find out that we're not where we should be. Because you and I had a conversation about is there a balance and is it a binary thing? If you embrace technology, does that mean there's no room for pencil and paper? And it was a very interesting conversation, but we're not here to talk about pencil and paper. We're here to talk about BQE Core. So can you talk about how BQE Core uses business intelligence? Right. So oftentimes many firms, they want to do a business analytics exercise. They'll get a bunch of Excel spreadsheets together. They gather information from a variety of sources. They'll often do this, by the way, on a monthly basis, which is mundane, repetitive work. And it's fraught with errors because the data sources are varied. They can't guarantee that they're at the same moment in time. Is if you have all the data in like a mother of all databases and you don't run a report, from two different systems that give you different numbers. You want one data source. So you'll see this oftentimes if you'll look at your data and you go, well, this one's not there. Who's the person I need to call to say you're wrong? So if you don't have that even as part of the equation, you're not going to have the issue where you don't feel like you're relying on accurate data. 
So the fact is we're collecting all the data into a single source that's always in real time. It's not being posted from one system to another system. It's important that the data always be pure and current. But what we're doing is we also believe you shouldn't have to go through analytic exercises because it is purely mechanical. Get the Excel spreadsheets, put them in somewhere, create a pivot table, and maybe think about it, right? And think about what's my next business decision. One of the things we're doing in Core is we allow you to send the data to people when they need it. So you could say every Friday at 5.30, I want Bob to get the balance sheet, the profit loss statement, maybe all of the, uh, the payments that our clients made during the past week. Maybe Bob should also know the summary of the staff's time card for the week. And maybe every Monday morning, I want Andrew to get a project status report in one page for every one of our projects. Who's allocated to work on it this week? For how many hours? What activities will they be doing? What are the pending um, uh, submittals and RFIs on this project? What are the upcoming project milestones? What's the budget versus actual? What's the contract versus actual? Uh, anything could be delivered to you and sent to you, Andrew, at 8 a.m. every Monday morning with, as an email. It comes to you via an email by core itself, so nobody has to run a report. The report mm -hmm. will be generated automatically, sent to you as a PDF, with a little nice note saying, Andrew, don't forget to bring this to the staffing meeting at 9.30. We're going to talk about everybody's projects. And so we like to deliver information to people on the schedule when we know it will be meaningful and helpful to them, not ask people in the firm to stop, gather data, run the analytics, print it out, put it on your desk, Bob, and then have it get covered under a bunch of other papers that you just you know put on top of it. Well, I can see some value in, in having that because I know in my office, occasionally we'll try to solve certain problems and it involves, well, Joe, talk to Mary, talk to Susie, talk to Fred, try to collect everything, pool it together where one person organizes it in a way that makes sense to them. And then when we meet to talk about it, I promise you half that meeting is just explaining how that person organized the information and not really a conversation about what the information is. Mm -hmm. If there's software out there that can do this, which yep. is BQE core, core, that certainly sounds pretty good to me. Good. Well, I see you signing up for <laughs> soon. Good. There it is. There Done. It is. Good. <laughs> Sold. For me, business intelligence is the last thing that architects should be wasting their time doing because it's purely data analytics. Business intelligence is delivering insights about your business that will allow you as an individual to make a determination of what will I do next. I love it. So Steve has done something really nice. Life of an Architect podcast listeners can receive 10% discount off annual course subscription when you sign up today for a free trial. Visit www.bqe.com forward slash LOAA to learn how the complete and flexible business platform made for architects by architects will help manage your firm so you can focus on what you love to do the most. And we'll put that link at the bottom of the page in the show notes. Steve, thanks for being with us today. We appreciate the time. That was a great pleasure. Well, thank you very much, Bob and Andrew. I really enjoyed this. All right, Steve. Cheers. Cool. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks, Steve. Let's move on to the second item. Uh-huh. So this is the likely follow-up. My item number two, I think, makes sense considering my item number one, and it was a sketchbook. Now, you might say, what makes a sketchbook other than the word sketch anything different than just like a spiral notebook that anybody could use in any job or in any profession? 
And I'm going to tell you, that's a fair point. <laughs> <laughs> so I debated whether or not I was going to include this particular item because you don't really have to have one to do your job, but I use it to do my job now. And it, I used to use those old composition notebooks. This just got indoctrinated me when I was in college. That's what I did too in undergrad. You didn't have those. But you're talking about like the hardback. I mean, it's like a book, right? Yeah. The old ones I used in college were composition notebooks. Mm -hmm. And partly because I didn't realize that there were people who made sketchbooks that weren't composition notebooks. I mean, I just bought what was at the co-op. You know, that's mm -hmm. what was there. So that's what I used. And then my first job out of school, my boss really ingrained in us the idea of using that type of vehicle to record phone calls and meeting notes. And we didn't sketch in them. They were just kind of you need to remember what people said in meetings, and you're not going to, so you need to write it down. Mm -hmm. So I got pretty good at writing things down in these kind of notebooks. Well, as I kind of evolved through my career, I still use those kind of things to record meeting notes and whatever, but I didn't sketch in them. I didn't treat them as sketchbooks. They were just like journals, but they were project journals. I'd either have one for every big job, but then I might have one that had all the little piddly jobs that were in it. Mm-hmm. And I was told that if you record your notes, should you ever need it in a legal situation, I have no reason to believe or know that this is true, but this is just what I was told. And it makes sense. But like, if you, if you record your notes in a book that doesn't have detachable pages in it, it has more value to it because it dates it better than you just writing the date on the top of a piece of paper. You know, because years later, you can always write whatever notes you want and put whatever date you want on it and go, look, here's the notes from that meeting eight years ago. Mm -hmm. That doesn't have the same value. In some cases, might not even be admitted. Should you need it, which I've actually never needed it, knock on wood, now that I'm talking about it, it's probably coming for me. So I write in journals and don't remove any pages. Now it's just what I do. I don't think that that's the reason I do it now, but it's just that's my process. But my mother-in-law, I really have my mother-in-law to thank for this because I started using the Moleskine. I think they're called the Cahar. I'm probably saying that wrong. It's a French word. Okay. Notebooks, and they're paper. Everything about them is paper. The inside's paper. The binding's paper. They're not hardback books at all. And I found that I don't feel particularly good about my sketching skills. Like, I wish I was a lot better. When I look at people that I think are good... I see a chasm of ability between where I'm at and where they're at. Yeah. And I'm sure people can look at what I do and think there's a chasm between me and them. And I go, that's just natural. It's normal. But I don't want you to think I'm some kind of cocky. I'm really good at sketching type of person because regardless of where you at, I probably feel the same way about my abilities that somebody else feels about their abilities. I just think mm -hmm. it's, it's just what it is. Yeah. I think it's probably normal. But I, I want to get better at it. And I know that. At least now, I don't draw these amazing sketch perspectives. Like, I don't go urban sketching. I don't draw pictures for the sake of pictures. I sketch in order to communicate the words graphically. And so, I sketch in front of clients all the time. And I do it when I'm talking with my coworkers all the time. And it just kind of helps make sure that the words they're hearing is reinforced by the lines that they're seeing. So, it's using both the left and the right-hand part of their brain, and they'll understand it better. Yeah. I was going to say my mother-in-law, so every year for Christmas, she buys me some of these books because she goes to the what to get an architect for Christmas list, home run every time, right? She knows this is Bob's list. 
So if I give him <laughs> anything off this list, he's going to like it. And you know what? That's why we do it. It's 100% yeah. why we do it. Well, one year she ended up doing it incorrectly. She clicked on the right thing, but I guess maybe you had to do a drop down to change it from ruled paper on the inside to blank paper on the inside. Oh, uh-huh. And so she bought me like a dozen of these, one particular size that have lines in them. And I was like, oh, I'm never using these because they're not sketchbooks. Like, what am I? I don't, yeah. It's not what I use. Well, probably about a year ago, when I made the move over to Boca Pal, I pulled them all out to write notes in. Because Boca Pal, they'll custom make you your own notebook, which is kind of cool, I think. That is pretty neat. Yeah. So you can like pick whatever images you want for a cover. But we have a woman in our office named Nikki. She'll actually assemble all the pages. She'll bind it. She'll bound it however you want and have your name on it. And they'll give it to you. Hmm. Whenever you want, you get your own sketchbook. I felt like I was too new to be asking people to do stuff for yeah. me. And every yeah. now and then, you know, the guy who was responsible for me being there, Andrew Bennett, every now and then I'll ask permission to do something. And he'll go, dude, you're an associate principal. You just do whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> this is not prison. Just do it. He goes, I appreciate you asking me, but you don't have to ask me. <laughs> and I go, well, you know, I just, I'm just, that's who I am. Yeah. I don't want to ask somebody to do something that I I wouldn't do myself, and that's just who I am. So in the beginning, I didn't want to ask her to make me a book because, like, oh, I'm some special guy. I walk in and just start telling people what to do. <laughs> make books. Make books. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Make, me, make me my book. Yeah. So I dragged these old line journals out, and I'll tell you, I thought I hated them. And I'm actually thinking that I love them now because I do take project notes in them. And when I do mm -hmm. want to sketch something in it, I just sketch over the lines. I don't care. I do what I want. <laughs> you know, it doesn't doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. I don't really care. Gotcha. So sketchbooks are something that... Here's the other thing about sketchbooks that I think is kind of important. This is why it's it's good for architects to use them, is that I do think it's important for you to have records of what you're thinking about, like of your thoughts, you know, and your ideas and the designs. And they're kind of in this place and they're chronologically organized. So as I've been building up my library of my sketchbooks over the last several years, I pull them out every now and then and like I'm looking for something or I, it's like a diary almost. It's kind of like a, a career architectural design creative diary. And you don't get that if you store it digitally, not in the same way. They're sorted alphabetically or like you can't tell today I did this, but the next day I did these things and then I did that and then I did, you know what I mean? It's like this is stream of consciousness if it's in a sketchbook and there's almost a different type of rigor when you sort things digitally more logic you don't have to go through that other stuff but there's a serendipity to the creative process by just seeing something you weren't anticipating that sometimes allows you to see it in a different light or a different context and it takes on an entirely new meaning and that's never true when it's about the destination right and sketchbooks are really about the journey as an archival method, as an archival tool. You look for it and you have to flip through pages to find what you want and you're reminded of other things you were doing. That's not true at all if it's digital. That's one of the reasons I really like sketchbooks and I think that's why creative people should use sketchbooks. That's item number two. Okay. I'm going to disagree, but... I know you are. <laughs> not because you're disagreeable, but we've had this conversation a dozen times over the last <laughs> 10 years. I'm only going to disagree with the fact that you think that can't happen digitally. I think that it can definitely happen digitally. And again, even though you've got a sketchbook, 
I'm resorting back to my iPad for this issue. But it's different. I will say that I, I use sketchbooks. I would never use a sketchbook with lines in it. Actually, I wouldn't say that. I just, I don't. I probably should, but. I wouldn't either. I'm just telling you, I wouldn't either. <laughs> and I was actually like, this is going to yeah. suck. And it just, over the last eight months, I'm like, you know what? Yeah. It doesn't suck as bad as I thought it was going to suck. I still prefer the non-line ones. I still write notes and I'm not worried about them. I don't write notes at a 15 degree angle. Like yeah. I keep it written in a straight line. I don't need the ones with lines. It turns out I'm not going to not use them because they have lines in them. I have some with lines in them, but you know, I go through other ones first, I guess. I used to do the same sort of thing that you're talking about where I would have a notebook. I gave up on the, the hardbacks pretty quick. <laughs> Mainly that was because of money. I mean, when I had to have them for school, I bought them. But then, you know, later I was like, well, this is a whole lot cheaper. I'm going to use a paper one. I would do it where I had a project per notebook. And then I moved into a single notebook. But they were just, this notebook is 2015. And the next notebook is 2015A or B or whatever. You know, or first quarter, second quarter, or something like that. And I would keep all of, just everything in there, right? I would just write the page and turn the page to the next project or next notes. And then I moved into doing that digitally. And I have the same thing, and then I can have each project in its own notebook, like digital notebook. I use it for that. That's the disconnect, though. If you put all your notes by project mm -hmm. in its own digital notebook, when you want something from that project, you don't have to fight your way through the things you were doing at the same time as the note you're looking for, the drawing, the sketch you're looking for. You just go to that destination, and it's in there. So the, when I was talking about the journey as opposed to the destination. If you had a project per notebook, it's no different. Now, yes, if you had a mixed notebook with all of your projects going on in it at one time, that's a little bit different. That's what mine is. But if you have one notebook per project, like you were saying, you had bigger project had its own notebook and then smaller ones would be in one yeah, other Yeah, that's one. when I was just taking notes. That was like, you know, in the 90s. That was uh, a long, long uh, time ago. Okay. All right. Well. I mean, I might agree with that, but I mean, I still have to scroll through everything related to that project in the single notebook. Again, it's just easier to have it digitally to start with for me. Well, okay. Well, let me ask you this. When you save out your files, yep. is it one file that's got everything in it or is it a folder for that project and it's got a date for everything you wrote on that date or sketched on that date? How do they get saved? They get saved as a single, like a single file. I mean, I don't start notes without writing the date on it. Do you just scroll through one file and like it, you're just scrolling for through 400 yeah. pages to get to January 32nd? Yeah. Yep. Yep. That would be how it worked. Even though there is no January 32nd, just exactly those who would like to call me out. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens. Yes. Okay. It's a similar process. It's one file and I'm scrolling through all the pages to find the thing I want. It's just digitally instead of physically. I mean, I get your the nuance difference that you're talking about, but I think it still works the same way. And I still do the same thing where I'm taking notes and sketching. The other thing I think is interesting that we've mentioned is that that's another thing that the age does. I'm more in the, the older age camp is that you can't talk without drawing. Are you saying Bob or like us? Us. Old people. Like us older people. I can't have a conversation and talk about things without drawing or writing something as I'm talking about it. Yes. Even if it's really abstract. I can't sit down with my students and not draw things I'm talking about, or even my employees. I can't. I have to sit there and draw and talk. But I don't think that that's something that younger people do. 
You know, I will tell you that I agree with you. I know, I know that there's going to be people listening to the show and they're going to be young and they're going to say, oh, I do that too. Yes, I know that there will be other people. I'm going to concede that there are yeah, yeah. Ex- exceptions to the rule for sure. Yeah. But generally speaking, I would agree with you. If I think about all the people who tend to grab a pen and a piece of trace paper or even walk up to a whiteboard or whatever and just start marking on it while they're talking – very rarely is that someone who is not, I'd say, a product of the 80s or early 90s education. Yeah. I'd probably draw that line around 40, maybe late 30s. Yeah. I mean, somewhere in there. Yeah. It's, well, it's one of those diminishing percentages, right? So if you're yeah. if you're 60 plus, your likelihood is 92% that you're that person. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you're 50 years old, that's probably 83%. It's going to yeah. slowly erode down. Because there's going to be people that do it at, at any age. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's funny. I think that's probably the truth about most of the stuff we're talking about today. There's a diminishing percentage or increasing percentage based on your, your age. Yes, I agree with that. And I always bristle at the idea because the last thing I want to do, the last thing I wanted this podcast to be was good old syndrome, two old dudes sitting around talking yeah, about how right. it was better when we were kids. and. <laughs> I do not want that. I fight against that constantly. And I'm not about to say I think that it's better. But what I've learned that I think is kind of shocking is that maybe it's nostalgia. I don't sure what it is. But the number of young people that comment that they wish it was more like the way we're talking about is high. It's a lot. And, you know, it's part of the reason that you and I had a an episode that we've since taken off our agenda for the moment because it'd be hard to pull off right now. And it was the idea of, is architecture school broken? Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. are we missing things in our effort to become better and faster and cheaper and more efficient in these things? Have we eliminated some of the things that made our profession what it was and what made people want to do it in the first place? I struggle at times, or at least I think about it a lot, is there a difference between the product versus the nostalgia associated with the process? People think architects sketch. Well, I'm not sure that we need to sketch. I like it. It's part of my system. But I also wouldn't look at someone who doesn't sketch and go, well, clearly they'll never be as awesome as I am because they don't sketch. I don't believe that to be true. Yeah, I agree. I will defend people who don't sketch and only use computers because That's what they were indoctrinated on. That's how their brain works. To them, that makes sense. And the people will make the argument that having technology is a step along the way between your brain and the output. Like if you're just sketching, it's a direct output, right? Brain to hand. Yeah. I mean, that's it. But as soon as you introduce technology, you're going brain to technology. And I go, but that's, that's all they know, right? So for them... There is no interruption. Yeah. You know, so I don't buy that argument. No, I, and then I agree. I, I think it's because for you or me as an older person that we do see that there's a disruption between, I think that's because we started and we learned mind to hand or mind to pen. That was the direct link. But for them, that direct link is different. It's yeah, mind to software or computer, which, yeah, it's the same yeah. thing. Yeah. I had to learn mind to hand. They have to learn mind of their technology. Yeah, and I think it's the same. Yeah, that's right. So I would never come on here and advocate that my way is the right way and there isn't another way. I think there are certain advantages to both. 
Yeah. And the advantage that I see in my process is it allows me in real time in front of the client, engage with them in a way that someone who doesn't speak our language can understand. And that has value that has proven over time to be incredibly valuable to me into that process. Yeah. I think the idea that we say, okay, we're going to do that. And then we have to go back to the office and remodel something and do more amazing renderings and, you know, and get back together two weeks. It's different. It doesn't mean that the client doesn't still love it, but the process is inherently different. And I think the way that we engage with those clients is a little bit different because we're missing that real time back and forth dialogue. Yeah. That sketching allows us to do. But I mean, there's nothing to say that that technology won't catch up to that at some point you know yeah i who knows i don't think we're there yet no no i agree we're not there yet but we could be where i can wow well, let's sit down here and we're going to manipulate it right now and i'm moving things around with my hands in vr and we make those changes i think that it's just a different way to process things but i don't think one is right or wrong okay so we're going to move on to the next item on our respective lists item number three for me is a favorite Again, not necessarily specific to doing the work of an architect. Maybe. I mean, I think I can make an argument for why it is. I'm sure, I'm sure you can. That's the whole point. So here it is. And this might be related to the sketching aspect that we've kind of discussed before. You know, like one of the things that I started, I made a note to talk about it, but I didn't really talk about it. It had to do with like how I sketch or how I use trace paper and the disconnect and the challenges I've had during this work from home period is that. I don't have the technical outputs. Like I can't say I need to print out this site plan at one to 20 on a 30 by 42 sheet of paper so I can roll out a big piece of trace on it and start sketching my ideas out and work through stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't have that ability because I don't have a large format plotter in my house. And honestly, I'm too lazy to go up to the office for five minutes to print it out. Right. That's like, I go, I'm not doing a 40 minute round trip for a five minute print. I'm just not going to do it. Yeah. Seems inefficient. It does seem inefficient and I just don't want to do it. So you can just print out eight and a half by 11s and tape them all together. Tape them all together. (laughs) Maybe if I knew how to do that. So here it is. The next item on my list is a giant desk. When I mean giant, I mean the bigger, the better for me. There's a couple reasons why I think doing our job on big desks is important. And part of it's because even if you use a half size set, it's still big. It's still taking up, like we use 30 by 42 paper a lot. Mm-hmm. So obviously half size set, you're looking at a 15 by 21 kind of thing. Okay. You're going to flip it open and you have keyboard and mouse and you know pens and sketch paper and all the stuff that's on it. You just, you need space. I need space. And on my desktop, I have two computers. I have two monitors. Well, Now I use a docking station, but I have a Mac. I have my PC with the docking station, two monitors, my keyboard, my mouse, half-size sets, rolls of trace, my bucket of pens. And these are things that I use every single day. And when I look at my wife's workspace, all she needs is mouse and keyboard. (laughs) Like That's it. That's all she needs. And I don't. And so I need a lot of space. And I still think back to two jobs ago when it was the last time I had my my own office, which I loved. Man, I miss that office all the time. (laughs) But I had a desk that was like 20 feet. It basically was like a countertop and it was L-shaped within the room. So it went wall to wall along two sides of my office. And it was like 15 feet in one direction and 20 feet in the other. Yeah. 
oh my god, I loved it. I miss it every day. If I could have inappropriate dreams about it, it's a possibility. <laughs> yeah. That's how much I loved that desk. Yeah. And even when I went to the last job, the one I, I left about a year ago, I had a double workstation, right? So it's like two L's, but I didn't have to share my space with anybody. So I got the entire C shape. Oh, uh-huh. It worked out okay because I could use this desk for my layouts and sketching. And it was big, you know, it's like 36 inches was the return depth. It was a benching system from, I think it was from Knoll. But I had like a section for like all my things like magazines and stacks of drawings that I'm not currently using. And then I had a section that was all computers and mouse and phone and note taking stuff. And then I had a desk that was just for laying out drawings and sketching and being creative. And it worked out great. And I loved it. I loved it. And where I work now, because of my, I, and I hate to say it, so I'm barfing in my mouth. Because of my position within the firm, I have a C-shaped workstation again. Everyone else has an L, but I sit at the end of the row, and so I get the whole C-shape again. But I had them take out one of my desks, the one that was behind me, and putting a drafting table because it was bigger. Did they have to go buy one? No, no, no. They had it. <laughs> they had it. So in the Dallas office, so we have four offices. In the Dallas office, there's like 85 people. And I think of those 85 people, there's only two of us that don't have our names on the doors that have these drafting tables. And I'm not going to lie, it's tight because the return desk was really, it's 24 inches. Oh. And so I had plenty of room. But when I got rid of that and I brought in the drafting table, which was probably 48, 48 inch. Yeah. Yeah. So luckily it's one of these ones that I can tilt to be vertical. So when I'm not using it, I can tilt it up. Mm -hmm. So I, I get most of my space back. But when I need it and I have to tilt it up, you know, if I was a bigger guy, I wouldn't fit because there's maybe two feet between the front of my desk and this drafting board. I mean, it's tight. But you know what? I'll suffer through it because that's how important a big desk is for me. Because I, I want drawings out. I want sketches laying out. And I don't want to be fastidious and tidy. When I do a sketch and I'm done with it, I rip it off and I just chuck it to the side. <laughs> right? I need space. It's just part of my creative process. And I look at it and I think everybody cool I've ever known has a big desk. <laughs> There's something else. Just just can put that out there. <laughs> Nobody ever oh, okay. had a workspace. I don't care who you are. If they said, oh, here's Le Corbusier's. We've recreated his office. Guess what? Massive desk. Big old desk. Yeah. I don't know that to be true, but I, I believe it probably would be true. Because here's the other thing. As creatives, I'm going to say that at least how I do my job, I would describe myself as a creative person. I have things on my desk that distract me in a creative way because every now and then i think it's part of the creative process you spend time thinking about things that don't have anything to do with the task at hand but they feed that process that allows you to get from a to b so it's, i have rocks on my desk and i like to touch them and i like to pick them up and it's the thing that allows me to stop worrying about roof hatches for a moment and how that works yeah. whether or not they should be in my render yeah whether or not they should be in my building it allows me to just kind of transport myself out for just long enough so that when i come back two minutes later i'm fresh again i think you would be hard pressed to look at any person who designs for a living and this extends beyond this both in directions but i'm just saying people who consider themselves designers if you look at their desk there's wacky stuff all over it they have toys, they have puzzles, they have bric-a-brac. They have things that they don't need to do their job, but they're there nonetheless because 
it kind of just feeds into their process in some capacity. Yeah, I would agree that I think most people that are creative like to have that kind of stuff. Yeah, there's something. You know what? I actually wrote a post years ago, and it had to do, it's called Architect's Desk. And I asked people, I did a cattle call. I said, just take a picture of your desk and send it to me. And the pictures I got in, now I look back at them and I go, it's, I, 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 it was so long ago, like, my website was completely different, so the images are formatted differently. Oh, uh-huh. They're not big. They're not like how they would be now. And, you know, our good friend, uh, Evan Troxel, he was one of the guys that sent in a picture. Mm-hmm. And he has a very fastidious desk. And I know the guy's a designer. He's a techie designer. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, he uses software to do what he does. I would imagine that guy's, like, writing code and scripts and Rhino to, to manipulate the forms that he's doing, whatever, whatever. He sent me a picture, what looks like his desk in his house, and it looks like it's in a closet, almost. <laughs> yeah. Not really, but like, I carved in this niche, and the left side has a bunch of stuff that's like my library or whatever, but I've got a little space that's carved over to the right that has the desk, and he's got guitars hung, and you can't even see the whole guitar, right? Because it's, I'm telling you, it looks like it was inside of a closet that he took the double doors off or something. <laughs> But he's got guitars hanging on the wall. And I go, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. That's the thing, right? Like, it's not just art for him. Because right? he's in a band. These things mean something to him. Yeah. So it's not decoration. But I imagine that it's something that allows him to get out of his head when he's sitting at that desk every now and then. Yeah. So that's all I mean. The point of my comment about having a big desk is to have room for all these things that are going to live on it. And I think, at least for me... Having space to just do the things that I do for my job is important without having to like reassemble my desk as I shift between tasks. Mm-hmm. But it's also those things that allow me to move out of my head while doing those tasks long enough so that I can come back in with a new set of eyes. I can't disagree. I think everybody wants a big desk, at least in my mind. So big desks, I think, are important. It's time for the ever-present. Oh my God, you know what that means? Well, yeah, I do. It's the hypothetical. <laughs> okay. The hypothetical. We never yes. came up with a theme song. We should have really had a theme song. God, something. It's not easy, people. But I know. It's, hey, not. you know what? If anyone's got some musical talent and they want to send us a jingle. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. We'll I take it. I don't think it. anyone's going to do it, but we'll yeah, see. Yeah, me neither, but it'd be great. I tried to make a rap intro, but it didn't ever work. <laughs> yes. You just, yeah, we're not going to repeat it because it's just like a grunt. It's like very Chuck D kind of intro. No, it's not. I like went through and did it all. I made a rhyme, a rap. Oh, oh one that I haven't heard? Yeah. I don't know that you're ever going to hear it because I, I, you're going to give me too much grief about it. Oh my God. I totally have to hear this rap now. I know. It's done. Is it going to be in 80s rap style? Or oh yeah. Ni- well, 90s. Early 90s. Early 90s. Oh, little B-boy rap style. Uh-huh. It's killer, but yeah, it's forever vaulted away. Okay, here we go. So let's get to the hypothetical. Let's do it. So Andrew and I, just to set the table on this, we've done enough of these hypotheticals. We have a list. So whenever one of us thinks of what we think might be a good hypothetical question, we go into and we just kind of add it in. And so then every time when I put together one of these run sheets or Andrew puts together a run sheet, we get to select, okay, which one do we want to talk about? Bob never picks mine. You know what? Because Andrew does all these Sophie choice type of, like, this is so depressing. Yeah, okay. So we're doing an uplifting one today. You ready for it? <laughs> yeah. So here's the uplifting one. It's yeah, feel- I'm loving this. this. I'm loving this feel good. It's feel good. Feel You're good hypothetical. Like it. Yep. 
You're going to want to walk down the street, whistle on the tune afterwards? <laughs> While you think of your own answer to this hypothetical question. <laughs> Here it is. Here it is. You ready? Yep. If you had to be killed by an animal, what animal would you choose to be killed by? <laughs> Uplifting. I feel so good. Yeah, I feel right? So, good. so some animal is going to kill you, but because we're benevolent, you get to choose which animal does the deed. Yeah. This is... <laughs> you know what? Okay, well, just to, just to kind of kick it off. Uh-huh. Just to kick it off. I asked my daughter this question. She literally goes like, oh, that's easy. And I go, it is? She goes, yeah. I want a hippopotamus to crush my head. It's like, what? What kind of <laughs> what kind of monster am I raising? It's all that criminal minds. <laughs> She's got a thing about hippos. Like, she thinks hippos are super freaky, scary. Oh, really? Well, it's, they're super dangerous, but man, they got like their teeth are like these giant flat, like it would just pop your head. I was yeah. like, it's super dark. <laughs> She's like, yeah. And I go, but it's not going to just open its mouth and you get to put your head in there and line it up. Like, there's probably some bad things that are going to happen before First. Yeah. before that before popping that. takes place. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think the natural instinct of the hippo is like, I'm going for the head, chonk. <laughs> yes. And let's, <laughs> and let's line it up so it's a nice, even pop. So it's perfect. Yeah. Right. Uh. You know, you start to think about it, and it's one of those things about, for me anyway, I'm like, if I'm going to get killed by an animal, it needs to be fast. I want it to be instant death because most of the time that's not how it works with animals. I don't need to be half eaten by a tiger while I'm still alive kind nope. of thing. Yeah, you know, no, like, no, 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 no mauling. Mauling yeah, is that. Right? I mean, because it's, and that's like what a lot of animals do. I mean, that's their sort of mechanism. And so I'm similar, I think, in my, my thought process. Not quite, but I think probably, if, if possible, trampled by an elephant or a herd oh, of elephants. God. So, <laughs> because I feel like, and again, this is the way I'm thinking about it. It may not be true, may not be possible, but I'm thinking it's just at some point I just get squished like a grape, right? I'd just be like busted like a grape and be done. Ugh. It might hurt, but I'd be, it'd be over. First off, you don't get to choose a herd. It's just an elephant. Well, then it'd have to be an elephant. Yeah. So that elephant's mad at you. Sure, he's chasing me. And I've seen elements chase people on safari. You punched it in the throat. That's and you right. you took off running. Yeah. And then no, I'm just going to punch it in the throat and then lay down on the ground right in front of it. You don't think it's it's not going to come at you with its tusks or something? Yeah, probably it might, but I don't know. It, because I don't think there's... Okay, so trampling by elephant. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, ridiculous. to me, that seems, that seems the easiest, but I don't know. What if the first pass, it just steps on like your leg? Yeah, that would suck. <laughs> you know, or your hips or something. And it's you just going to have to turn around and keep... Well, I feel like if it steps on the middle of me, I'm done. And I got a lot of middle. <laughs> well, your middle is the middle, so you got upper, which would also do the deed. Yeah. Only if it tramples me from, like, the waist down am I, am I in trouble. But what if it's just, like, its foot... Let's say its foot is another... It's like a hippo tooth, right? So it's this round thing. What if it steps on you... Like it misses. It only hits like 20% of you. So it just kind of scrape crushes part of you. Well, but that's not going to kill me. I know. So it's got to come back. Well, if it's got to come back, it's got to come back. I don't know. Mm. I'm uh, hoping for a single per, not perfect, but. One shot. Good impact that just, yep, <laughs> smush. And I'm, and I'm out. Okay. 
So I've asked this question. You know, I like to kind of run them up a flagpole before before I yeah, put them I know on you list. like to cheat and get everybody's answers so you no, can no, formulate no. the best one. No, really, what it is is so that everybody looks for the loophole. Everybody. Yeah. And I don't because I play it square. Whatever. And so here's the loopholes. This is just to make sure prepare me for when you try to loophole me. That's all this <laughs> is. So one of them was someone goes, I'd like to be killed by a bear, but in the act of chasing me, I jump off a cliff and that's how I die. And I go, that's death by falling off a cliff, not by bear. Right. So that's cheating. That doesn't count. And then somebody goes, I'd like to die by shark. And I go, well, it's not like they're going to just swallow you and you're done. They're going to like bite your leg off. And then you're probably going to drown as you bleed yeah. out. But they're chewing on you. and stuff. It's not like one single shark bite ever kills anything. That's dumb. No, but they like might bite your leg off and then they move on. But then, then you're bleeding out and it's like shark feast and you're just getting chomped. Like you're not dying. You're bleeding out and then drowning. I was say, yeah, you're still not dying. These are terrible. That's terrible. Yeah. Again, everyone seems to have the same consideration. They're like, okay, how can I choose an animal death that is fast and as painless as possible? That's why, like, nobody chooses grizzly bear, because that seems like... Yeah. It's not quick. <laughs> it's not painless. Hyena. <laughs> yeah. They're like, these are all terrible. So everyone starts... And maybe you thought about it a bit, too. You start thinking, mm, is there some poison? Is there a poison route I could go? Like a spider bite or a snake yeah, bite a snake or something? Bite? Yeah, but that's not fun. That's slow. I don't think... Yeah, I don't think it's fast enough. Yeah. I think you just rot and you die from, like, other things. I know. If spider... That takes you like three days. I don't want that. You just sit there and watch the poison spread from wherever you got bit to the rest of your body. No. I was going to look up and I go, I wonder if like some type of viper, like a gaboon or something like that, like one of those green horned vipers or something, it bites you and you make it five steps and you're done. I don't think there's anything like that. I got to do some research because I'm thinking that might be the way to go because some of them put you into cardiac arrest. Like, the bite hurts, but you die of a heart attack. I think there's something to that out there. I'm going to do some research. Is that your answer? No, since I don't oh. know. I was like, Since I didn't research cheating. it, because I didn't cheat, I didn't research it, I'm going to go against what you said in the beginning, because I'm not sure that I believe it to be true. I'm going to choose death by, like, panther, jaguar, something like that. Because they go for the throat. That's how they kill. They go to break your neck. They don't, like, rip you apart. They don't take a bite out of your leg. They don't go for torso. They go for the ender, right, at the very beginning. That's what they do. Maybe. And then they stuff you in a tree. I said, then they hang you from a tree. <laughs> it was a jaguar. Then they drag you up in a tree and hang you off the side. And yeah. I don't know that you, unless they snapped your neck, you wouldn't that, be dead. And I don't know if they, they probably do have enough power to snap a human neck. But oh, if easily. they just bit your throat out, you'd just be laying there, like, still alive, hung in a tree, bleeding out. Oh, yeah, you could be bleeding out from your elephant stomp. But no, I think that you, from my exhaustive research from when my daughter was little <laughs> and we uh, watched a lot of animal programming, sure. I'm pretty sure that any of the big cats, their go-to is they break your neck. They bite your throat. That's it. That's, yeah, you're but done. you'd have to, nah, yeah, I don't think that's the first thing, though. I think and you're going to part you a while. No, you a while. No, they won't. You know why? Because I'm not fighting it. I'm like, I'm going to tilt my head to the side and present <laughs> my <Yeah>. neck. <laughs> I don't know if that would work either. I think it would because their bite is, I'm pretty yeah. sure my neck is not as strong as like a gazelle's neck. I don't know. 
there's not that much muscle around the bits that since we're apex predators technically you know what there is a loophole to this that because i said animal and human beings are animals human beings are an animal yeah i know but that's cheating I know, it's not really the point. That's like super duper loophole. Yeah, and we wanted to keep this upbeat, so. <laughs> yeah, so animal. <laughs> what about like getting eaten by a whale? Oh, you'd just be slowly digested. I don't know. Maybe not. If it's a, a sperm whale, those are like ones that have teeth. I mean, I would say like an orca, but that would be like getting bit by a shark. I don't think it would work. I think maybe a sperm whale could actually bite you and kill you. I think they just open their mouth and you would get sucked in. No, that's like a blue whale or a humpback. The sperm whales, are they attack squid, so they have teeth. They're different. I think they would bite you. Yeah. They might bite you in half, but I don't know. I don't know if it would be similar to a shark attack where they wouldn't really... It would still be... It would take time, I guess. Yeah, it would be a nice, clean Yeah, end- chomp ending. would be done. I don't think there's any... If National Geographic has taught me anything, it's that there's never really a clean ending in an animal death. It's true. Yeah, I, it doesn't happen. Yeah. I think gators, like they bite you no. and drag you down and drown you. They just drag you to the bottom and drown you and roll you around or Yeah, but you're done. You're I done guess, pretty quick. You're not bleeding I don't out. Know it's pretty quick. Well, it's as quick as you are drowning. I guess. I mean maybe what about a big old giant anaconda? Python. I mean it just squeeze the life out of you. It might hurt, but it'd be done pretty quick. Yeah, I wonder how much it would hurt. Like it's just like you can't You just can't breathe, right? You can't breathe. I don't feel like it's crushing my bones, but it, you just sort of that suffocate. Might be the, that might be the best answer. Hmm. Death Maybe. by asphyxiation due to <laughs> anaconda. Yeah. <laughs> what if it was by, I was thinking, if it was an eagle. They just pick me up and fly me off, and then they happen to drop me. Then you die, <laughs> and, you die by drop. They didn't kill you. Well, they did kill me, because if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have died. Mm, yeah, but it's not death by their... <laughs> yeah, see, that's loophole. It's close. That, that's the same thing as saying, I'm fighting a bear, and he whacks me off the edge of a cliff, and I fall wow. to my death. Granted, it'd take a pretty big bird to get me off the ground. It would take like a pterodactyl. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's a bird that exists. That could lift you off the ground? Yeah. No, I don't think there is. Uh, I don't even think, well, what is it, the great California condor could do it. I don't even think that could pick up, like, you know, a five-year-old. I bet it could pick up a five-year-old. I bet it could pick up probably 50, 60 pounds. No, now you're making arguments like my daughter. Like, there's no evidence to support. <laughs> I don't know. The California condor picking up a five-year-old. I will research. I've never looked. Like, how much, what's the lifting weight? <laughs> I know, like, what's the lifting capacity of a California condor? Google. Go. <laughs> so now you're on the hook for doing pen, stylus research. <laughs> I know. And animal I- liftoff abilities. <laughs> I know. I don't even know how they would do that. Oh, we're just going to put dead animals down and weigh them first and see which one it picks up. I bet you can find, like, they've been seen carrying something off. Like, this is their diet. Yeah, maybe. But see, condors eat dead stuff. I don't know that condors do. Yeah, that's why they have, like, the head that they do. Okay. I'm not talking about the vultures where there's, like, no feathers on their head because they stick their head inside the carcass and they get carrying all over themselves. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to do the same thing I'm accusing you of, and it's just like making I think up, making exactly up stuff. what you're doing. I don't know. Making stuff up. Backing yeah. up. I don't know, but my gut is telling me that they're not picking up anything bigger than a rabbit or something. Oh no! Maybe they could pick up a goat. <laughs> <laughs> you see, you don't know. They don't like a up... mountain goat. <sighs> okay, 
research is required. We're going to have to look it up. When we get done, I got to go look it up. Yeah, this is just like the when we had that conversation about sea slugs. <laughs> like, are they are they poisonous and they, they just like seem like they're full of juice? Yeah. And are they poisonous? It turns out they're that they're not, right? We did that yeah. research. <laughs> <laughs> I may have to change my answer to python squeezing. Yeah, I think that's, that's that what we did, right? That might be the easiest, yeah. You just run out of breath. As opposed to elephant trample and... Jaguar snapping. Jaguar disemboweling, you know, yeah. with of my throat. Yeah. Were they going to bite you first or no? I don't know. No, you're out camping and you're sleeping. And yeah, it, see, and it just suffocates me in my sleep. That's even yes, better. Right? I don't even know it. <laughs> That's even better. Yeah. I just go to sleep and I never wake up. Yeah, until you end up being on one Done. of those clickbait websites of a snake they find with a giant Andrew, <laughs> Andrew yeah. inside it. Outline of it. They look and they go, there's like five big goats in the belly of this. <laughs> yeah, or one Andrew. One, one Andrew Hawkins. <laughs> That's going to become a measurement device of... Of what? A measurement say, device of... Of, you know, like when they say, I was trying to think of the name of animal scientists but they all have their own unique names but like they're gonna say this animal had the undigested volume of one andrew hawkins in it <laughs> yeah even though like instead of it being like you know like a unit of measure that we're thinking of 20 pounds it's just yeah. gonna say an andrew hawkins and everyone's like wow that was a lot that was a lot yeah <laughs> capable of digesting two Andrew Hawkins is yeah, that's, a forty-eight that's hour it period. They go like crap. Yeah, so instead of like you measure horses by hands and stuff, they yeah, say or like apples food, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah food quantity is going to be you know Andrew Hawkins. Nice, that's a big quantity. Yeah, like it, the four H <laughs> stuff. They're going to be like marching bulls and cows out. And they're going to go. This cow sired of <laughs> this and that, weighing in at thirty-seven Andrew Hawkins. <laughs> at, yeah, thirty-seven Hawkins units. Yeah, all right, it's, nice. that's right. You're an Andrew Hawkins unit. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think that we've come up with an answer. So that means that our show is over. And we've reached that point where I'm going to call that a wrap. Thank you for being with us today for episode 52, Architectural Tools. Thanks again to BQE for sponsoring this episode. If you like today's episode, please take the next 15 seconds and head over to your favorite podcast listening app and hit that subscribe button so you can get warmly buttered new episodes automatically delivered every two weeks. While you're there, please take a few more seconds and leave us a five-star, let-me-do-it-my-way rating. Be sure to visit the original lifeofanarchitect.com for show notes, links, info, and photos from this episode. Be sure to stick around until the very end we'll share some outros from today's recording, if there are any. Be safe, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in. Take it easy, everybody. Cheers. You're going to do it. Do it. Say it. No, not. Yes. Don't, nope, you, I'm not. You thought about After it. After last week, you I thought quit. about no, it. No, <laughs> I thought, I determinedly thought I was not. Yes, but you still cross your mind to not say it, though. Yes, it did cross my mind right. to not say it. That's good enough. That still counts. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You ready? Yeah. Five. You got to count well, down. I yeah. was about Sorry. to start. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs>
There was like a long pause, and I thought, he's not going to do it. All right, go ahead. Sorry. I'm going to do it. I thought it'd be interesting that since we're recording this at 3 a.m. in the morning, that we both have dulcet, very white voice. Oh. <laughs> hey. This. Yeah. This is life of an architect, baby. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to start using different words, are we? <laughs> And hit that subscribe button so you can get <laughs> your warmly buttered. And I even read it earlier today. If you like today's episode, please take the next 15 seconds and head over to your favorite podcast listening app and hit that su- subscribe. This is the early morning problem. It's not early morning anymore. I sent you gross and then grosser. Oh, I see it. All right. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And by funny, you mean gross. No. You're ready. You're in your business socks. It's business time. <sighs> Remember from Flight of the Concourse? Yes, I know. I know what you mean. I know, but you didn't react. <laughs> okay, should we... It's a joke. It's a joke. You didn't laugh. It's a joke. Yeah, come on, man. <laughs> I like... I put effort uh, into that. No, you did Come on. <laughs>